podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Monday, the 19th of December, the day after Argentina lift the World Cup for the third time in their history after 78, led by Mario Kempes, after 86, inspired by Diego Maradona. 2022, the culmination of the greatest career we've ever seen. Lionel Messi is world champion and what a game we got what an incredible game we got the world cup is so important and i feel like 
it's lost so much of what made it great. The World Cup for years and years and years was the pinnacle of football. It was the highest level, the highest standard. But if you look at the World Cups in this millennium, 2002 wasn't a great World Cup. 06 was pretty good. 2010 wasn't a great World Cup. 14 wasn't a great World Cup. 18 was flat out a bad World Cup. This, because of the final and because of the knockout stages and because of the drama, has done a lot to reestablish the preeminence of the World Cup. It's done a lot to elevate the World Cup back to the status it deserves. You look at the run from 66 when England win up to 98 when France won. It was the most important thing in the world from a footballing point of view. It was the pinnacle of the game. And it lost that. And it hasn't fully found it yet, but it might have found a new identity. And this final, while I'm not prepared to say it's the greatest World Cup final ever, because there are four others that I think are incredible. 86, 78, 66 and 54. I think this World Cup is this World Cup final is right up there with it. So we get two major decisions made by the managers. Scaloni picks Di Maria to start. Deschamps picks Upamecano over Canate. One of them worked and one of them didn't. Di Maria wins the penalty to get Argentina underway 23 minutes in. He beats Dembele, slows himself down, draws the contact, hits the floor. It's a penalty. You can moan and complain that it's soft. It's a penalty. His ankle gets clipped from behind. It's a penalty. Messi steps up and scores. France don't look like they've realized the game has started at this point. Konate's, I'm sorry, Kunde's all at sea. Varane doesn't look right. Upamecano's all over the place. Teo Hernandez is all over the place. The midfield isn't functioning the way they expect it to function. I believe in large part because Adrian Rabio wasn't at 100%. He had a fantastic tournament. He was poor in that final yesterday. Poor is, poor is harsh. He was okay. But they needed him to be at the same level he'd been up until the quarterfinal stage. Argentina go 2-0 up on 36 minutes. And this is a wonderful goal. The ball is fired into Messi's feet after Upamecano goes out of position and loses the ball. Fired into Messi. Gorgeous flick to Alvarez, who's dropped into the right wing position. He plays it to McAllister who's burst forward from midfield. And he plays it across to Angel Di Maria, charging in from the left wing. It's a stunning goal. It's a great finish. It's one of the great World Cup final goals. Argentina are 2-0 up and coasting. Argentina are walking to World World Cup glory. 
But then they did what they did against Australia and against the Netherlands. And they they got caught up in the moment. And the first French goal is an Mbappe penalty after dreadful defending by Nicolas Otamendi. Just gets far too close, gets far too handsy and just stupid. Stupid, stupid foul. Penalty to France. Mbappe steps up and he scores. Now, it's worth pointing out, to this point, this hasn't been a great game. We're 80 minutes in. This hasn't been a great game. It's been pretty good, but a long way from great. But within a minute, we've got a great final on our hands. When Mbappe makes a 2-2 with a great half volley. At that point, I thought Argentina had blown it. I thought France were going to win the World Cup. We go to extra time and Argentina, through the sheer desire of Messi and those around him, get themselves back in front. Messi, with the tap in, gives Argentina the lead on 108 minutes. Second half of extra time here. And it looks like Argentina have won the World Cup. For the second time in this game, it looks like they've won the World Cup. But for the second time in this game, France dragged themselves back into it. Mbappe's shot hits the arm of Montiel. Montiel, And it's another penalty. And Mbappe steps up and he scores and he completes a World Cup final hat-trick. And... I don't know if people have fully grasped what an incredible thing a World Cup final hat-trick is. And even in defeat, even in defeat, I think Mbappe has done more to cement his legacy with that World Cup final hat-trick than he would have had they lost, sorry, had they won with him having just an okay game. He's only the second person ever to score a World Cup final hat-trick. Obviously, Jeff Hurst was the first in 1966. We go to penalties. It's what is fitting of this tournament, I think, that this ended on penalties. Mbappe steps up first. Martinez is very unlucky. Very unlucky not to keep this one out. Messi steps up. It's never in doubt. Kingsley Coleman, his shot is saved by Emmy Martinez. Dybala scores. Chuameni drags his wide. Paredes scores. Colo Muani, who had a great chance to win it for France in extra time, denied by a brilliant Emmy Martinez save. He steps up and scores. And Montiel, who'd given away that penalty, who'd lost his place during this tournament. He started the tournament as first choice and Molina took his spot and Molina ran with it and was excellent. But Montiel steps up and very calmly slots home. And Argentina are World Cup champions for the third time. Cue pandemonium on the streets of Buenos Aires. If you've seen the videos... There's drone footage 
of I, I don't know the name of the street. It's the one with the big obelisk. I think it's named for that area. The area or the street is named for the obelisk. The the drone footage is absolutely mind blowing. They estimated there was over two million people on this one street. Two million people on this one street, and more were still coming. More were still coming out to celebrate, to join in what is, I would imagine, going to be a very long party in Argentina. I picked France to win before the World Cup. But as the World Cup went on, as Messi got closer and closer to getting his hands on the one trophy that's eluded him. My heart overtook my head. The first football team I ever fell in love with was Argentina because of Maradona. And I was too young to really understand what was going on, but I understood that this was somebody very, very special. And my uncle Brendan was a huge fan. And he would explain to me about Maradona. And that Argentine team in 86, again, I'm too young to fully comprehend what was going on. But they were the first team that I decided as a four-year-old, I was going to support. This was my team. I'm Argentina. That's the mindset of a four-year-old in Ireland in 1986. Um, I've always had this affinity for them. I've always had this soft spot for them. They've always been when many people have a love affair with Brazil or, or, you know, would, would class Brazil as their second international team. For me, it was always Argentina. And when we did our world cup daily pod to preview the final, I picked Argentina to win. Now I said, I thought it'd be two, uh, two, one guy Drinkle to his credit said four, three Argentina. Myself and Carol Matchett thought he was mad. Well, he was pretty damn spot on. What a final. From from 80 minutes to the end of extra time and through the penalties, this was just... This was the type of football you can't take your eyes off. It was such a special, special occasion. And I'm thrilled for Messi. And not just for him. Because... I think there's so many players in that squad that are really, really promising and have the potential to go on to be great, great players. Emmy Martinez is a good goalkeeper. He's flawed. He's a good goalkeeper. He's not great, but he is is a good goalkeeper. But what he is, he's a big moment guy. And he made that huge save late on against Australia. The huge save from Colo Moani. And in both penalty shootouts, he made big, big saves. The save from Van Dyke, the save from Coleman. They're big, big saves. They're legend-building saves. Nahuel Molina, I thought, was, after Hakimi, the best right back in the competition. I think he's special. I really do. He's not ever going to be, he's not Trent special. He's not that kind, but as a defensive player. Like, he is outrageously good as a defensive right back. And he's good on the ball. And he can get forward. And I think 
I think Atletico Madrid have a gem there. Christian Romero, I think, is the second best centre-back in the Premier League after Van Dijk. And I thought he was outrageously good for this tournament. Altamendi is a massively flawed defender. But he's an inspirational leader. He's a front-footed player. Whisper it quietly, but he's very, very Sergio Ramos-esque. Doesn't get the goals that Ramos gets, but as a defender, he's a carbon copy of Ramos as a centre-back. Spectacular, but can also be spectacularly bad. Had his spectacularly bad moment in the final yesterday, but away from that moment, pretty good. Nicholas Tagliafico is a good left back, but that's all he is. Rodrigo de Paul is, he's a strange player. He should be, he's, he's so talented. He should have become a better player than he has become. But in the semi-final and final of this World Cup, he was incredible, mostly in an off-ball role. This is a guy who can do pretty much anything he wants with a football at his feet. And when he was at Udinese, he was one of the top young attacking midfielders in European football. His role in this Argentine team has largely been a defensive one. And his work rate has been incredible. Now, big part of that is that he spent the last couple of seasons working under Diego Simeone, who obviously is primarily a defensive manager. But he has improved so much off the ball. When he was at Udinese, there was a lot of Liverpool fans that wanted to sign him. He'd been really good in 1819, again in 1920, and again in, in 2021 going forward. But off ball, he was a he was a bit of a passenger. And Simeone has completely altered him as a player, and now he's a world champion. Alexis McAllister is one of the great stories of this World Cup because he began the tournament not in the team. And the role that he took on is the role that Giovanni Lo Celso had made his own over the last couple of years under Scaloni. And Alexis took it on and tweaked it to suit his own abilities. For a guy who came through at Ar- Argentinos Juniors and was bought by Brighton as a number 10, This season, we've seen him play a deeper role in that double pivot next to Caicedo and be sensational. And he transported that form to the World Cup to a slightly different role. Translated would be the better word, not transported. And and had a, a great tournament and a great final and got himself an assist on Di Maria's goal. Enzo Fernandez is the the real breakout star of this tournament. Now, going into the World Cup, I wanted him at Liverpool. Now, I want him at Liverpool more than I've ever wanted any player at the club. And if it's a choice between him and Jude Bellingham, it's not a choice. He's significantly better than Jude Bellingham. He's a he's a much better passer of the ball. He's a smarter player. Now, Bellingham is two years younger, so keep that in mind. Enzo is more mature. But defensively, it's night and day. Jude is an active defender, but a poor defender. He's a bit of a liability off ball. He switches off. He gets drawn to the ball. He's got some bad habits. Now, again, he's 19. They'll be easy to coach out of him. 
But Enzo Fernandez is already world-class defensively. And he's a world-class passer of the ball. He's been in Europe six months and he's bordering on world-class. He is going to be Tony Cruz, but better, in my view, for the next decade. That's what the buying club for him has to look forward to. He is incredible. He was incredible in that final yesterday. He's been phenomenal through the tournament. And he is the single biggest turning point for that Argentina team. If we look back at Argentina's World Cup, and we consider that when they began their tournament with that defeat by Saudi Arabia, he wasn't in the team. The midfield on the day was Rodrigo de Paul and Leandro Paredes with Angel de Maria and Papu Gomez basically as wingers. Enzo came off the bench when they were 2-1 down and they couldn't get themselves back into the game. Against Mexico, they start with Rodrigo de Paul and Guido Rodriguez in midfield. Di Maria one wing, and Alexis has come in at this point. But Enzo comes off the bench and scores, creates the first goal and scores the second. And then from game three against Poland, it's Enzo, DePaul, and McAllister. And that midfield is what won Argentina this World Cup. Paredes obviously came in for the semi-final game and was excellent to his credit. But that midfield trio, Enzo, DePaul, and McAllister, with Enzo as the standout, is what won them the World Cup. Obviously the genius, and we'll get to him, is the defining factor, but that was sensational. Um, you go on then obviously through the the knockouts and it's again it's just that midfield. Um moving on into the attacking thrill. Angel Di Maria's had a, a great career, a storied career, and he's always been a big game player. But at 34 he he looked like his best days were behind him. He hasn't had a particularly good season for Juve. He had struggled in this tournament until he lost. Well, he did whether he lost his place or was just left out to try and get him back to a high physical level. Only him, Scaloni, and a few others will know. Whatever it was, Scaloni has managed him brilliantly, and his performance in the final was incredible. This guy won a league title and two cups with Benfica, a league title, two cups, and a Champions League with Real Madrid. Five league titles, five French cups, four league cups, and four super cups with Paris Saint-Germain and got to a Champions League final. With Argentina, he won the under-20 World Cup. He won an Olympic gold medal. He won the Copa America last year. Argentina beat Italy in that Cup of Champions and now he's a World Cup winner. What an incredible way to cap a career for him. One of the great wingers. Not, saw someone say he's the best winger of the 21st century. He's not. He just isn't. Because Cristiano, despite my issues with his game, he has to get that recognition. 
Julian Alvarez is a very, very talented young player who has sacrificed his natural game for the good of the team. But in doing so, may have found what will make him an even better player than he might have become otherwise. This kid can be Carlos Tevez 2.0. He's got the technical ability. He's got the scoring ability. And he's shown he has the work rate, the desire, that doggedness. That real Argentinian grit. What a tournament that young kid had. And it is crazy to think that a year ago, not even a year ago, earlier this year, him and Enzo Fernandez were at River Plate together being talked up as, you know, what they might become. And here we are. They're both world champions. They're both starters for the the best team in the world because they're world champions. Coming off the bench, we had Acuna, we had Montial, we had Paredes. All of them have had tournaments where they, you know, were in the team or out of the team. All of them have been willing to park their egos for the good of the team. Latour Martinez has had a terrible tournament, but he did score the winning penalty against the Netherlands. And I would imagine he was probably the fifth penalty taker for Argentina here. Pizala is, he's the type of defender you throw on to defend a lead. He's big, he's aggressive, he wins balls in the air. He did what was asked of him. He's the perfect squad player for a tournament like this. And Paolo Dybala, who must have thought his dream had become a nightmare when he suffered that terrible injury to his hamstring just before the World Cup and was expected to miss the World Cup and has barely played in the World Cup. But he gets his moment scoring a penalty in the World Cup final in the shootout. Big, big moment as well, because Coleman had just missed. So the pressure was really on. Didn't look phased at all. And then there's Messi. And regardless of all else, this World Cup is about him. The golden boot winner, sorry, the golden ball winner, the runner-up in the golden boot, he gets the silver boot, seven goals, three assists. By sheer force of will, he inspired this team. The last time I saw somebody inspire a team to a World Cup final by sheer force of will was Maradona in 90. and They couldn't overcome the Germans. But Messi, at this point in his career, still has that genius. As Maradona did, he didn't have a bum ankle like Maradona. And I don't think this French team are as good as that German team, but... What a performance in the final. What a performance. Two goals involved in the other, scores his penalty. It caps off an incredible tournament for him. He has been the one consistent in Argentina's team in terms of a high level of performance the whole way through. Sensational. And I said before the final, and I'll say it again, Diego Maradona is the best player we've ever seen, in my view. Messi's the greatest of all time. He was the best player in the world in 2008. 
it's 2022 and you can argue he's still the best player in the world. 17 years later. He's had one bad season in that time. The first season of PSG, where emotionally he was just destroyed after the departure from Barcelona. This season he's having a hell of a turn. It's a hell of a season. And he's now two goals shy of 100 goals for Argentina, which is, is ridiculous. He says he's going to carry on playing for them, which is great. If we look at what he's done in his career by season, 0405 is the season he makes his debut. He plays nine times in total for about 250 total minutes, scores one goal. We don't really know what he is at that point because they're using him in different positions. They, they used him as an eight. They used him as a winger. They played left wing, right wing. But Barcelona fans are telling everybody who will listen, this is going to be the best player you'll ever see. His first season as a real first team member is 05-06. Plays about 1,500 minutes. Eight goals, five assists. Not a bad return. 06-07. He's established more at this point. Plays about 2,800 minutes. 17 goals, three assists. Okay, he's primarily a goal scorer. Great. Barcelona need that. They've got the playmaking. This guy's going to be the goal scorer. Well, not so much. Well, yes, but also not so much. His next season plays about 3,000 minutes. This is 07, 08. 16 goals, 16 assists. And now you're really looking at Kaka's the best player in the world at this point. But for how long? How long is this demon going to allow somebody else to be the best player in the world? Well, that was it. That was the last season. 08, 09. 38 goals and 19 assists in about 3,900 minutes. 09-10, 47 goals and 12 assists in just over 4,400 minutes. And the minutes are something to keep note of here. Because as people say, the best ability is availability. Just listen to the minutes here as well as the ludicrous goals and assists. 10-11, 4,600 minutes, 53 goals, and 27 assists. Again, 53 goals and 27 assists. He only played 55 games. 11-12, because that season wasn't mental enough, 5,200 minutes, 73 goals, and 32 assists. 105 goal involvements in 60 games. 73 goals. 50 in the league. 14 in the Champions League. 5,200 minutes. 12 13. 60 goals and 17 assists in 4,000 minutes. 50 appearances. 46 league goals. 
Now, these are PlayStation numbers on easy level. 13, 14. Have I missed a year? No, that's why I'm on the right one. 13, 14. 41 goals and 14 assists. Oh, a down season. 3,800 minutes. Missed some time in the league that year when he played 31 games. 14, 15. 5,100 minutes, 58 goals, and 31 assists in 57 games. 15, 16, 41 goals and 24 assists in 4,300 minutes. 16, 17, 54 goals and 20 assists in about 4,500 minutes. This is a ludicrous, ludicrous run that he's on here. From 08-09. Actually, you can go 07-08 because 16 and 16 and whatever, 2,500 minutes is ridiculous. But onwards we go. 17-18. 4,500 minutes. 45 goals and 20 assists. 18-19. 4,100 minutes, 51 goals, and 22 assists. 1920, 3,800 minutes, 31 goals, 27 assists. 2021, 4,200 minutes, 38 goals, and 14 assists. From 0708, to 2021, that run is ridiculous. Then he joins Paris Saint-Germain, and obviously we know he had a down season last year, 11 goals and 15 assists in 2,800, well, 2,900 minutes. It's not terrible. For anyone else, that's a good season. For him, that's the worst season of his career. This season... In 1,700 minutes so far, 12 goals and 14 assists. So he's already beaten last year's numbers. And he's got over half a season left. This is unprecedented longevity at an incredible... No, not even... Incredible doesn't do it justice... An unimaginable level. Like Maradona 85 to 90. Ridiculous. I don't know. Messi's had seasons that have been at that kind of level, but not a five-year run. But he's had a 15-year run of being better than everybody else on the planet. And it never really should have been a debate as to who the best player in the world was. It never really was a debate. It was a debate created largely by idiots on television, by Real Madrid fans, Manchester United fans, and Portuguese people. The rest of the world knew. 
pundits would go on television and call, and talk about this this great debate. Oh, it's the the, the two best players ever. Cristiano Ronaldo is not one of the ten best players ever. He just isn't. He's had an incredible career. He might have had the second best career ever. I would say uh, Paolo Maldini had a better career, but individual awards will always skew people's views. But what Messi has done is is on another level to what Ronaldo has done. Someone suggested to me, Cristiano Ronaldo's greatest career achievement is that people put him in the same conversation as Messi. And when you look at what Messi has done in the game, with Barcelona, he won 10 league titles. He won seven Copa del Reyes. He won seven Super Cups. He won four Champions League, Champions Leagues. He won three Super Cups and three World Club Cups. And he's won a league title with PSG and a French Super Cup. With Argentina, he won the Under-20 World Cup. He won the Olympics. He won the Copa America. He won the Cup of Champions, and now he gets his World Cup. Winning the World Cup doesn't alter his legacy other than to just put a little bit more glitter on it. But the way he won it, the performances he put in, it's probably the best individual World Cup since Diego in 86. And he did it at 35 years of age. And look, I I think all these individual awards are largely nonsense because most of them are just popularity contests. But he's won seven Ballon d'Ors. And that's not enough. He was robbed of a couple. The only time I believe between 08 and 21, the 08-09 season and the the 2021 season, which is ridiculous. The only time I believe there was a better player in the world is I think Suarez had about 18 months where he was better. That was the tail end of 12-13 and the 13-14 season. There was spans of months when they were together where Suarez was better, but again, overall, Messi. I think Suarez is the one who's actually come closest to Messi's level. He just didn't sustain it the way Messi did. Cristiano's goals will make people think, oh yeah, well, you know, that's why he's there. But look at the rest of his game. Watch a Cristiano game where he doesn't score or just watch games without the goals and you see the difference between him and Messi. Seven Ballon d'Ors, he will almost certainly win an eighth. FIFA World Player of the Year in 09. That's a defunct award and he should have won that more times. Um, The best FIFA men's player, he's won that once. He probably should have won that a few more times. Uh, European Golden Shoe. One, two, three, four, five, six. FIFA World Cup Golden Ball, the best player in the World Cup, twice. FIFA Club World Cup Golden Ball, the best player at the Club World Cup, twice. 
La Liga best player. One, two, three, four, five, six. How how is that six and not ten? The Pachichi Award for the top scorer in La Liga. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Five of them came in Cristiano was at Real Madrid, by the way. Argentine Footballer of the Year won. He won it in 05 for the Under-20 World Cup. 07, 08, 09, 10, 11, 12, 13. Don't know how he didn't win it in 14 because he was their best player in that World Cup. Uh, 15, 16, 17. Didn't win it in 18. Not sure why. 19, 20, 21. He's going to get it in 22, you'd imagine. I don't know how he didn't win it in 14. Who won it in 14? This is a scandal. Uh, 14. Angel Di Maria. No, I'm sorry. Just no. No, no, no. Absolutely not. He had a really good season for Real, but no. And in 18, uh, Pity Martinez. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm, yeah, no. They're just not having it. It's been messy every year. It just has. The last time it wasn't was when Juan Sebastian Veron was at Estudiantes. And that's the last time. That was 2006. Like, it's the same same nonsense that denied Maradona. Maradona should have won it every year from, like, 79 to 90. He was easily Argentina's best player every year but they gave it to some players that were based at home for a bunch of years. Maybe maybe you had to be originally. Maybe you had to be um, based at home. Um, what, a, what an incredible player. What an incredible career. He says he's not retiring from international football, which is, is great news. He says he wants to keep playing. I love football. It's what I do. I enjoy being in the national team and want to continue to experience a few more games as a world champion. Obviously, I wanted to cap my career with this and I can't ask for anything more. What a a legacy he's going to leave behind. He'll be 39 at the next World Cup. He said he won't play, but, you know, he might. He he might. Scaloni says there'll be a spot for him. Scaloni's already committing to managing at the next World Cup, which is also great news for Argentina. Um, I think Scaloni has done himself an immense amount of of good at this tournament with his decision making, with his tactical setups. Like the fact that they've only lost five times in 57 games and he's won a Copa America, a FIFA World Cup and that Cup of Champions, which I look, I know is a, a glorified friendly, but still, but still like Argentina for all the, the pomp and circumstance, they hadn't won a World Cup since 86. They hadn't won the... Copa America since 93 and he's come in and won both of them 
he's only been in charge four years. He took over after the last World Cup. And in this cycle, in one cycle, he's taken them to two, the, the two biggest trophies they can win and that Cup of Champions. Which I actually didn't realise. I did not realise that had been played before. It's been played... It's been played twice before. So in 1985, France had won Euro 84 and Uruguay, who were the reigning Copa America champions, they played, France won 2-0. In 93, Denmark having won the most recent Copa, play, oh, sorry, Argentina having won the most recent Copa, played Denmark, who'd just won the Euros in 92, and beat them on penalties. I genuinely did not know those games had ever taken place. I must go and find them. They have to be available somewhere. 1-1. Denmark scored first. It was an own goal. Kinesia scored on 30. Went to penalties. Maradona, Badastuta, Diego Simeone, Mancuso. Kinesia missed. And Saldana scored. And for... The Danes, Elstrup, Jan Molby, Niels, Brian Nielsen, Kim Vilfort missed, Brian Laudrup scored, and Bjarne Goldbeck missed. I genuinely didn't know these games had taken place, and now my whole my whole existence will be finding these games. We should cherish what we have left of Messi's career. Hopefully it's four more years. You know, hopefully he plays out the season with PSG and then maybe goes back to Barcelona for one year and then goes just just to, you know, have his actual goodbye and then goes on to MLS and does well there and gets his own team and then caps it off with that World Cup. And then he can ride off into the sunset. He's done everything. He's done everything. He's accomplished everything you could ever imagine a player wanting to accomplish. And he's the greatest player of all time. Back after this. Right. Welcome back. So, the final team in our recap of the season so far for each Premier League team is Wolverhampton Wanderers, who, funnily enough, are 20th in the Premier League as well as the 20th team alphabetically. Wolves began the season with Bruno Lage in charge and will restart the season with Julian Lopetegui in charge and spent about six weeks without a real manager. I think they jumped too soon on Lage, but Lopetegui is a great manager and I think they've done brilliantly to get him. The reason there was a six-week wait is because they were waiting for him because he was their target all along. And there is something admirable about that, that they've just waited for the guy that they decided was the right one. They began the season with a 2-1 defeat at Leeds, a game in which they were the better team and were very unfortunate not to win the game. They outplayed Fulham at home, were fortunate not to lose. Mitrovic had a goal disallowed, but 
we were starting to see a pattern emerge. The pattern continued when they lost 1-0 away to Tottenham and they outplayed Tottenham. Then they drew 1-1 with Newcastle. I thought they were the better team. Newcastle fans will disagree, but you know that's their prerogative. St. Maximum scores a late, late goal to give Toon a draw. They draw with Bournemouth. They were poor on the day. Bournemouth had just sacked Scotty Twocoats and were a little bit inspired. Then they beat Southampton 1-0 and you think, okay, now, now they're going to get themselves back on track. Now we're going to see what this team can really do. And it just went disastrously wrong. They lost 3-0 at home to Man City. There's no real shame in that. They were 2-0 down. Nathan Collins got sent off. That was game over. Then they lost 2-0 away to West Ham. Not a terrible result. West Ham are a good team. They lose 3-0 away to Chelsea. Sorry, West Ham are a good team, but they're having a crap season. So in hindsight, it looks like a bad result. But at the time, you didn't think it was a bad result. Same thing goes for the 3-0 defeat to Chelsea. Chelsea are in a bit of a mess at the moment, but they're Chelsea and they were going okay at that point, even though they had obviously changed manager as well. They beat Forest 1-0. And you think, okay, maybe with Laj gone now, we'll see a bit of a turnaround, but it just it hasn't happened. 2-1 defeat to Crystal Palace. 4-0 home defeat to Leicester. Really poor. 1-1 draw with Brentford. Decent result. Lost 3-2 at home to Brighton, a game in which they got themselves ahead and then just did silly things. Did silly, silly things. Matoma destroyed them. Uh, they lost 2-0 last time out to Arsenal. No real shame there. Arsenal top of the league. In the League Cup, they are still going strong. They knocked out Preston in the second round. Jimenez and Adama Triori with the goals. And then they knocked out Leeds through a Bubakar Triori goal in the last round. They will face Gillingham tomorrow night when football returns in the UK. It returns with Wolves versus Gillingham. In the FA Cup, they've been drawn away to Liverpool. Um, Remains to see what kind of team Liverpool will put out. But I could see Wolves taking that one fairly, um, fairly seriously. They're 20th, and there's no way to sugarcoat it. They've been crap. They've been absolutely shocking. They've scored eight goals in 15 games, which is just completely unacceptable. And they've conceded 24, which is concerning, because if you're not going to score a lot of goals, you can't concede many. They are four points behind Everton, but four points at this stage of the season is nothing, really. There's 23 games left. And I think they've got a good squad. In the summer, I liked the business that they did. They made the Huang deal permanent. He's a solid squad forward to have. They brought in Nathan Collins, who I think is very good. They brought in uh, Guedes from Valencia, who's very talented, a little bit frustrating. But in the right setup, I think could be could be very, very effective in the Premier League with this combination of pace and power. They brought in Matthias Nunez. He is outstanding. I don't understand why he's been wasted as a number 10 in recent weeks and months. That's nonsense. Get him deeper. You're taking away his best attributes. They brought in Sasa Kalasic, 
to be the answer up front. And I thought it was a really good move, a clever move. This is a very good player. Won't score you 20 a season, but might get you 14 and contribute to another six or seven. He does his ACL in his first game. Now, it's a little bit of history repeating itself for him because when he moved to Stuttgart, he tore his ACL in preseason training. So you would hope that he can bounce back in the same way that he did at Stuttgart, where in his second season there, which was really his first season there, he had a tremendous year in his first Bundesliga campaign, 16 goals in 33 games. He's he's a good player. He really is. With him out, they've signed Diego Costa um, because he was he was what was available to them. You can't really fault it. I, I thought they did some good things in the summer. They got rid of Cody, which I thought they had to do. They 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 need they'd move past the point where he was good enough. Though obviously results haven't gone their way. They let Mark Howell go, that was okay. They let John Ruddy go. I probably would have kept him for depth, for just experience as well, and for the quota. Losing Romain size, I think, was a blow. And we've seen what a great World Cup he's had. I didn't like the decision to sell Ruben Venegra. I thought he would have been a good backup left back to keep. I didn't like the decision to sell Morgan Gibbs-White, but I'm guessing they had to to fund this purchase of, of Kalisage. Getting rid of Catrone and Woody Bolly was clever. Selling Dendonker, I think, was a mistake. I do think that was a mistake. They brought in Bubakar Traore on loan, and I think he looks a player. So if we look at them moving forward, I think there's a lot of talent available to them. They've just had such bad luck with injuries, and their inability to score goals is is, is quite something. But Jose Sa had a great season last year. He's come back down to earth this year, and Looks a bit more like the keeper I thought they were going to get, which isn't a great goalkeeper, but he's a good shot stopper. Uh, Sarkic has only played the two cup games. I I don't know much of him. Long term, I'd be looking for a better goalkeeper than Jose Sa. At centre-back, I really like the Collins-Kilman pairing. And I think in the likes of Toti Gomez, or Toti Gomes as he actually is, I I think that's he's he's a solid backup centre-back who who gives them the ability to change to a back three and can also just come on in games. When when they need a centre-back to come on in games and have them see something out, he can be the one who does that for them. They've also got Yerson Mosquera, who's a very, very talented centre-back who missed most of last year to injury. So centre-back, I think they're in good nick. Right back, they've got Semedo. They've loaned out Key and Ahoyver. I'd like to see him get more opportunities, especially in a back four. I think he's made to be right back in a back four. And they've got Johnny Otto, who's solid. He's a solid fullback. Left back, Aitnuri needs to be playing every game. Every game. He is excellent. 
he is an excellent left back, one of the best young left backs in world football, in my view. They've got young Hugo Bueno, who's also a talented young left back. So maybe he's the main reason they allowed Vinegra to go. So left back, I think they're good as well. I don't think they need to buy any defenders. I think they just need to work on their shape. In midfield, a, a midfield three with Neves and Nunes is a really good start. And maybe Bubakar Traore is the one to be that third one, that more dynamic ball-winning type. He's a very good player. They do have him on loan, I think, with an option to buy. And I assume if they stay up, yeah, if they stay up, they'll probably take up that option because he has looked quite good so far. But I would probably look for one more in midfield because the others who I haven't listed there, you're talking about João Moutinho, very talented, but at his age, he can only play a certain amount of games. And he's not a defensive player. He's not a ball-winning type. Um, you've got Conor Ronan, the Irish one, who's he's all right. Joe Hodge looks a promising young player. But I do think they need one more in midfield. Now, the big thing for them is Neves' contract is up in 2024. They're probably going to have to sell him this summer. So maybe you need to look at getting a long-term replacement for him. So you might be looking at two midfielders. Or, or you go Traore somebody never at Nunes. So maybe the person you bring in can in the short term play with Neves and Nunes and then replace Neves kind of as the six. You buy someone that can play eight or six. But in midfield, you get one midfielder in of January, I would be looking for a midfielder. In attack, there's a lot of talent. Pedro Neto is sensational. The injuries are a little bit of a concern, though. Pedence is talented. Guedes is talented. Chiquinho is talented. I think he's done for the season as well. Um, Chen Campbell looks a player as well, the young winger. But the number nine position is the issue. Now, they've got Kalasic, and they'll get him back maybe this season, definitely next season. They've got Raul Jimenez, they've got Wang, they've got Diego Costa. Is there enough goals there? I don't think there is. I think they need to go and find someone, preferably on loan if they can, who can come in and give them some goals. So in January, I think they need to be looking for two players. I think they need to be looking for a midfielder, and I think they need more goals. I, I think they made one mistake in the summer in letting Trinkiao go. I would have kept him. Um, Just from a talent point of view, I think if you had him and Neto, when Neto's out, you play Trinkiao, you can play them together. They've got a wild card in, in Adama Traore. He's at a contract at the end of the season, but he has looked better this year. And I wonder if Lopetegui can tap into the the good Adama and get a real tune out of him, maybe even playing him through the middle. Now, guys mentioned the possibility of bringing back Fabio Silva. He's out on loan, obviously, at Anderlecht. I don't know what the situation is, whether they can recall him. But if they can, it's probably worth doing it because he is a guy who can score goals. Now, he hasn't shown a whole lot of that at Wolves, 
But this season with Anderlecht, he's got 10 in 21, which is a pretty good return. They also own Leonardo Campana, who's unloaded into Miami, where he scored 12 goals in 28 games. Wolves bought him in 2019. He's never played for them. He's had three straight loans. This is the first one he's really popped and and impressed. Uh, Young Ecuadorian that they brought in directly from Ecuador, I believe. Um, Yeah, from Barcelona in Ecuador. He might be worth looking at to bring back as well. It might be easier to get him back because the MLS season's over. I think they need they need to find goals one way or another. They need to stop leaking goals. Lopetegui will definitely help with that. But I think they've got they've got to bring in somebody in midfield. You've got to get a little bit more dynamic and you've got to get more ball winning in there. You've got to be able to take the ball off the opposition and get moving the other way. When you can't score a lot of goals in your set half field off a, a, attack, when that defense up against you is in their in their shape, in their structure, when you're struggling to break those down, you've got to rely on transition. The best way to create transition, obviously, is to have people that can go and win you the ball back. I wonder, could they look at bringing in Papi Matar Sar on loan from Spurs. Would Spurs be open to that? He's not going to play for them. He's close friends with uh, Bubakar Traore. They, they were at Mets together. I wonder, could he be the type that could come in and do that for them? Would he be available on loan? I don't know what, what their financial situation is. It obviously hasn't been rosy the last couple of years. But him on loan could be a clever move. And I think Spurs probably would be available, would be open to it. In terms of a striker that can get them goals, I mean, if they're having to go the loan market, it's going to be tougher. So you're obviously going to be looking for somebody that's out of favour at their current club. And that's always a tough thing to do, to bring in somebody who's not really been playing and expect them to, you know, pop straight away. What they could look to do is maybe bring in, is go and buy Ben Brereton Diaz. Because I think there is a chance Blackburn will sell in January because he's had a contract in the summer. And if you're loaning in a midfielder, maybe you could go and buy him. The other option would be to look a little bit down the road if, if the money is there. And, and I, I would hope that it is. But if they were to bring in Papi Matar Sar on loan and could go and buy a striker, then look down the road to Coventry. Victor Gjorkers, whose name I'm butchering, I'm going to call him Victor. Victor is a really good centre forward. One of the few misses by Brighton in the last couple of years, because if he was at Brighton, he'd be scoring for fun. Last season, he got 17 goals in 45 games in the championship. This season, he's 10 and 21. And Coventry were poor for the first half. He wasn't getting the service. Once he started getting the service, he started scoring goals again. He's big, he's strong, he's got decent pace, he's got good control, he's bustly, he's hardworking, and he knows how to get on the end of things. 
I think he's the type that could come in and make a real difference for them. I think Raul Jimenez is, is done. I do. I think Costa's obviously done. If you, you're you're going to need another striker anyway, even when Sasha comes back. Having the two, Victor and Sasha, they could play together. They'd be horrible to play against. And you could rotate them. I think he could make a lot of sense for Wolves. Could make sense for Brighton as well, but you know, could make sense for Wolves. You get him and you get Papa Matar Sar on loan, and I think you're in good nick. I expect Wolves to stay up. I think they've appointed a top 15 manager in world football in Lopetegui. I think he'll turn things around fairly quickly. It starts with Gillingham. The Premier League fixtures that they've got coming up aren't terrible. Everton away. Everton aren't particularly good. That's a winnable game. Manchester United at home. It's definitely a game you can get a result in. Aston Villa away. That's going to be an interesting one. Lopetegui up against Emery. That's a good game. West Ham at home. If West Ham are still as bad as they have been of late, that's a winnable game. City away is going to be tough, obviously. Then Liverpool at home, that's going to be tough. But then Southampton away, Bournemouth at home, Fulham away. That's three winnable games. If they can win six of their next ten, I know it's a big ask. But even if they won six and lost four, you know, if they won four, lost four and drew two, wouldn't be too bad. Just get yourself back on track. You've got good players. You've got a good, really, a really good manager now. I expect Wolves to stay up. I think they're too good to go down, personally. Right, let's jump into the gossip and we'll get wrapped for today. We've got three days worth. Manchester United are considering a move for Antoine Griezmann. I doubt it. Real Madrid have joined the race to sign Cody Gakpo. I think his agent is working overtime. United want to sign Gakpo as a replacement for Cristiano. That sounds realistic. That sounds real. Wolves are trying to sign Isco from Sevilla. I really hope not. It could be a busy window for Wolves who want to bring in up to six new players. That would be ludicrous in January. That would be ludicrous in January. Wolves want to sign Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I really hope that's not true. Liverpool and Tottenham transfer target Sophie and Amrabat has woken up top clubs around Europe with his displays, according to his brother. Everton will join the race to sign Mohamed Kudus in January. He turned them down in the summer, so uh, I don't know. Napoli's 50 million Georgian winger Kvice Kvartskeli has emerged as a target for Newcastle. 50 million wouldn't buy you his his boots, let alone the rest of them. Adrian Rabio has expressed expressed a desire to join Barcelona. That does sound real. Cristiano Ronaldo could be getting ready to announce his retirement, says Patrice Evra. Uh, nobody should care what Patrice Evra has to say. Newcastle, Middlesbrough and Sunderland have all registered interest in Joe Bellingham. I believe Joe Bellingham will end up at the club his brother ends up at. I think he'll follow Jude wherever he goes next. Leicester, Wolves and West Ham are among those interested in Asadine Onahi. Now, that could be a really good fit for Wolves if they wanted a midf- if they look to bring in a midfielder. That could be a really good fit. He will go and win you the ball back. 
and he's very good on the ball as well. Uh, Malik Thielman has hinted he is keen to stay at Rangers on a permanent contract if they can agree a deal with Bayern Munich. Strange move. Real Madrid are interested in Brazilian striker Vitor Roque, who's 17 but face competition for from Barcelona, PSG and Chelsea. Uh, Real will get any young Brazilian, is my view. Ethan Mbappe, the 15-year-old younger brother of Kylian Mbappe, made his debut for Paris Saint-Germain's senior side in a 2-1 friendly win against Paris FC on Friday. Is there another one of these demons coming? Oh, Jesus. Um, Manchester United have, a, have had a bid rejected by Independiente de Valle, de, Independiente del Valle for 15-year-old Ecuadorian midfielder Kendry Pias. He is meant to be seriously special, but I haven't seen him, so I don't know. Christian Vival will be the new technical director of Chelsea. They seem to have about nine technical directors. They don't really seem to know what they're doing. They're just hiring people and throwing them together and hoping it all works. Manchester United are planning a near 200 million double swoop to bring in Jude Bellingham and Frankie de Jong. Lies. Liverpool are growing increasingly confident that they will win the race to sign Bellingham. I believe that to be true. Chelsea have completed the signing of, of Christopher Nkunku. No, they haven't. What's happened here is the deal is in progress and everybody knows it's going to happen and Romano has just jumped the gun to try and claim he was first. But the deal has not happened as yet. Liverpool, Manchester United and Chelsea target Yusufa Makoko is not close to signing. A new contract to Borussia Dortmund, his agent has confirmed. He is a very special young player. Angiers chairman Saeed Shaban says the French League One club is resigned to losing Asadine Onahi with Premier League clubs interested. Um, they're going to get good money from him. That's what, what, what we can be certain of. Chelsea are planning to put pressure on Real Madrid in the battle to sign Josco Guardiola. I think he will end up at Real Madrid. I, I really do. I think he's going to be their big summer signing. I don't think they're going to sign a midfielder in the summer. I think they're going to go big and get Guardiola to build that next defence around. Um, Marcus Rashford will become the highest earner at Manchester United if he signs a new long-term contract. Uh, yeah, that's that's just not something that they should do. They should try and get him on a new contract, but not for, like, De Gea is on 350 grand a week. Sancho's on about the same. You can't be giving all your players that kind of money. You shouldn't be giving any of your players that type of money because they don't deserve it. David De Gea could leave Old Trafford on a free transfer in the summer as the club considers not activating a clause in his contract for a further 12 months. That would be a surprise. Christian Pulisic says, Ting... Pulisic or Pulisic? See, if he was European, it would be Pulisic. But I think it might be Pulisic because he's a Yank and they can't really pronounce things properly. Um, No offence to any American listener, but, you know, that's just what it is. Um, Says things can change quickly and anything can happen after being linked with a move from Chelsea to Manchester United. Like... I need to speak to somebody at the BBC. You can't be using Metro as a a source of news. And with respect, I don't know what the indirect podcast is. Indirect podcast. 
Tim Ream. Is this Tim, is is this Tim Ream's podcast? Yes, it is. Tim Ream has a podcast, and I didn't know anything about it. So fair play. It looks like it is it is sourced, but you can't be using Metro. Just source the podcast. Don't be sourcing Metro on anything. Um, Manchester United have been handed a boost as Borussia Mönchengladbach are prepared to sell Marcus Turan for €12 million Euro in January. Um, I don't think United will be in front, but I think Liverpool should be. Everton are one of four clubs interested in Matthias Cunha. Now, obviously, we know Wolves are also strongly linked to him. Um, and he's a really good player. But I don't know that he answers your goal-scoring issues. He might do if he catches form. But he's not a traditional nine. Liverpool and Everton uh, have joined Leeds in monitoring developments with Birmingham's 18-year-old English midfielder, George Hall. Cristiano Ronaldo shared a video of himself in a private gym. Great. Congrats. Who cares? Luis Suarez, who is a free agent after leaving Nacional, is wanted by Mexican side Cruz Azul. Do you know what Suarez should do? He should just he should go on a tramping mission across Central and South America for the next five years, just winning league titles. That's what he should do. Zinedine Zidane will not will not attend the. This is obviously from yesterday. Will not attend the World Cup final as he does not want to steal the limelight from Didier Deschamps amid speculation he is set to replace the French manager. Um, I spoke highly, well, as highly as I can on Deschamps on Friday, and he had an absolute stinker on Sunday. I feel maybe I reverse jinxed him. I feel maybe I meant to. Jose Mourinho is considering soundings from the Portuguese Football Federation over the country's vacant head coach role, but is unsure whether he wants to leave club management. I think Jose would do really well at international football. Pep Guardiola said his side will have four or five senior players available for the tie against Liverpool. Um, we'll see. We'll see what they do. Thursday's going to be interesting. Shortly, before, shortly after announcing his international retirement, Sergio Busquets has decided to leave Barcelona at the end of the season and he could join into Miami. Crystal Palace co-owner John Texter is ready to complete a takeover of Leon. It's pretty much been completed since the summer. Um, it's probably just the, the fine details. Okay, this is today's then. Barcelona and Netherlands midfielder has told, as Frankie de Jong has told Manchester United boss Eric Ten Hag he would be happy to move to Old Trafford. He would have gone anywhere else in the summer. So I don't believe that to be true. Manchester, sorry, West Ham are interested in signing Manchester United's English right back, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. That would be a horrible signing for West Ham. He doesn't fit at all how they, they want to play. If you're going to play a real defensive right back in a four, just play Tilo Carrer. Save yourself some money. Uh, Sophie and Amrabat would prefer to join Liverpool despite interest from Tottenham. I don't think either of the clubs are actually interested in them. Spurs don't need him, and I don't think Liverpool are in for him. So, yeah. A deal for Amrabat in January is the most likely outcome for Liverpool as moves for Jude Bellingham and Enzo Fernandes are still being worked on. Liverpool and Chelsea are both interested in Moises Caicedo. Caicedo is the dream. Jude, Caicedo, Enzo, that's the dream midfield. It, it, it's perfect. The agent of Arthur Mello says the Brazilian will be continuing his loan at Liverpool and not returning to his parent club in January. That's true, and also I hope he gets to play. 
Um, Barcelona are interested in signing Yusofa Makoko from Borussia Dortmund, but are refusing to pay a fee for a player who will be available on a free transfer in January. Um, I, yeah, whatever. He'd be, he'd be a great signing for them. But I don't think he'll go there. Because I think he wants to go somewhere where he'll get more guaranteed minutes. Uh, Chelsea are hoping to sign... Uh, Guardiola ahead of City and I think he goes to Real Madrid I think I don't think City are truly in for him um, I think he goes to Real Madrid Borussia sorry Manchester United look Marcus Turam again stop Diego Simeone is on the hunt for defensive reinforcements in January Diego Simeone being on the hunt for anything is terrifying and is considering a move for Cagra Sionchuk Sayonchu is exactly the type of defender who'd do well under Simeone. He needs to get as far away from Brendan Rodgers as possible. Rude van Nistelrooy has admitted he will be powerless to prevent Cody Gakpo leaving the club soon. Adrian Rabio's contract at Juventus runs out in the summer, but the Italian club may not let him leave in January with Paul Pogba not ready to return after a knee injury. Uh, Inter Milan defender Stefan de Vries says he expects, expects plenty of offers for the 30-year-old Dutch international who will be at a contract in the summer. They'll get offers, but it won't be from the clubs that I, they want, is my view. He, he's a good defender, but he is he's on the decline. Nigel Winterburn says a move for Cristiano Ronaldo by Arsenal will be a complete disaster. He is 100% correct. Manchester United co-owner Avram Glazer held talks with potential investors during his trip to Doha for the World Cup. Now, bear in mind, potential investors, not buyers. I've said it before. They're not looking to sell. They're looking to sell a piece of the club. But that money won't go into the team. That will go into their pockets. And whoever buys in will have to help fund the stadium renovation and the new training ground. They're not looking to sell. If you own an asset that's worth £3.7 billion, £4.5 billion US dollars, according to Forbes, you don't put a £7 million price tag on it. If said asset has over half a billion in debt sitting on the club, you can't get £7 billion and expect someone then to clear that debt. If the stadium and the infrastructure is completely in rag order, you can't expect them to pay 6 or £7 billion plus 580 million or whatever it is to clear the debt, plus then another probably billion being realistic to renovate the stadium to the level it requires, which will involve tearing down some of the existing stands, rebuilding them, redoing the insides of the rest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, plus a new training ground, plus you know a new academy, plus maybe a facility for your women's team. It's just not going to happen. They're not looking to sell. They're looking for investors. So, you know, wait and see. Anyway, that's me for today, folks. Thanks, as always. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.